Hey, Max, do you want to know what's worse than a bad movie or a bad book? What? Not being able to come up with a good opening, because we all love good opening. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to Second to Die, horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. We're your hosts, as usual. Thanks for listening again to us talk about horror and openings. And dirty jokes. Oh my god, so many dirty jokes. I've honestly just kind of gotten numb to it by now. I used to be like really bashful when I would go into work on Monday after an episode would air because I know that a few of my coworkers listen. And now I just don't care. I'm just like, congratulations. Y'all are learning the real me. Well, and kind of the real you. I mean, to be truthful, like 20% of it has to get edited out because... We have a high threshold for appropriateness, but some of them are 100% inappropriate. Yeah. Well, I think also I worry sometimes when like we tell some jokes, I worry about how well they transfer to just an audio because if you're not seeing like my face and stuff, you may not really get it. Okay. So Max has like the driest joke delivery ever. And when we first met, it used to drive me insane because I could never tell if he was messing with me or not. And it was really annoying. Now I just think he's funny and adorable. <laughs> I get I get that a lot. Sometimes I think I have inflection, but I don't. Yeah, uh, you get it so often that it's kind of reaching the point where we wonder, mm, is it people not getting the jokes or is it the joke not landing? My jokes usually do land, though. I'm pretty funny. I know. I'm just messing with you. I'm quite, I'm quite funny. If I do say so myself and humble. Those are my two greatest traits. So humble. He's just so humble. My two greatest traits are awesomeness and humility. Anyways. Both of us managed to simultaneously be extremely full of ourselves while also thinking we're trash. Mm. That's true. Actually, it's probably a lot of like overcompensation, to be honest. I think that that's kind of common in people, though. Okay, we're getting too real. No, mm mm-mm. Let's move on. What movie are you doing? Plus, well, okay. Uh, let's just talk about the movie. I'm doing a movie. It is a 2019 film. I've been on kind of like a more like modern movie kick, I say, for two weeks. I was about to say, you <laughs> did cat people, what, two weeks ago? Mm. Yeah, but the movies that I've been kind of into like outside of the podcast world, I've also been kind of like into like what's coming out in more of like the modern ones as opposed to going back and like looking at old stuff. So... This movie, like I said, 2019, which is pretty modern, it is called Z, literally the letter, or for our Canadian listeners out there, it would be Zed. A lot of, like, other countries use Zed. Yeah, not a joke, just a fact. But it is called Z because the title of it is basically the character, it's a character in the movie. So it's not zombies? It is not zombies. Jesus Christ. False advertising. Lies. Fairy tales. Fallacies. Rude. It's, like I said, not a zombie movie. It is actually an imaginary friend movie. Oh my God, there's an imaginary friend in my book. (gasps) That's so crazy. Twinsies. I've actually, and just so people know, we did 
we do not plan this. We don't really talk about what we're doing with each other. So when that happens, it's pretty coincidental. We have done a few imaginary friend stuff before because I think it's like a creepy situation, you know. Also, I just like making reference to my own extremely creepy imaginary friend. Yeah. Well, this one is kind of like more like that, to be honest. Yes. A little bit. It definitely delivered the creep factor. Real quick, it was directed by Brandon Christensen, and it was written, co-written by Brandon Christensen as well, and Colin Minahan. It has three main players. There's obviously a supporting cast, but it's essentially a mother and father and their kid. The mother and father are Beth and Kevin. Beth is uh, played by Keegan Connor Tracy. She played, for people who are playing at home or listening or maybe don't, maybe kind of know that name. She played Professor Lipson in The Magicians. That is honestly one of the only professors she, I'm trying to think of a way to describe her that you'll remember because I know you've seen The Magicians. We watched it together. Yeah, but I'm so bad at placing faces and names, even with just characters. You would recognize her if you saw her. She has that, honestly, she has an almost like 40 style old Hollywood glamour, but she's young and very, very pretty. And she's in every season of The Magicians. I just remember the librarian. She's not the librarian, but I do love that character, too. And Alice. <laughs> who they just fucked over. But Al- I, I liked her so much at first. Alice, or as I call her, Chesty McGee. I, they learned very quickly who their audience was for that show. I'm just saying. I know. If Oh, my God. If you if if any of y'all watch the magicians, the one of the funniest things to point out is to like watch it and see how they dress Alice in the beginning and then see how very quickly they realize that they can dress Alice in a way that will make their audience expand in a whole new way. Expand. He's talking about their penises. Well or vaginas. Yeah. She could she could be giving people a lot of weddies, huh? No, absolutely <laughs> not. It, stop trying to make Weddy happen. Weddy's not going to happen. Well, I've made Weddy happen. But I'm pumped. I'll be here all day, folks. Oh Thanks for coming to Second to Die. A sexual, sexually charged podcast where we make inappropriate jokes all day. Okay. And sometimes talk about horror. Speaking of which, your movie. <laughs> Speaking of which, Z, what happens in this movie? What are the themes? I'll talk to you. I'll talk about it after I talk about the movie because the movie is like a giant metaphor. Let's see if people can pick up on it. It's not that subtle. So okay, so it opens up and we meet Josh. He's a kid. Obviously, he has a, his parents, Beth and Kevin. Josh is. I'm horrible at children's ages because I do not associate with them. I think he's like ten ish because he's like old enough to be like sentient, but. Kind of out of the cute phase. Why are you laughing at me? Old enough to be sentient is now going to be my new qualification for like when a child is ready to start reading early chapter books. <laughs> because I haven't mentioned it in a recent episode. If you're new here, folks, I'm a children's librarian. Yeah. And well, I'm a criminal defense attorney, so I don't work with children that much. But sometimes I don't know. I mean, I do have nieces, and so they're, he's definitely a little bit older than them, and I think they're six, right? Yikes. I don't know, Max. How old are they? I'm pretty sure that's great. Let's move on. Okay. So, Josh goes to school, and this is one thing I noticed right off the bat of this movie, is there is, like, super ominous music going on constantly. Like, and not ominous like in Halloween John Carpenter style ominous, like, ominous, like, really loud, like... 
super suspense, like, boom, I don't know. It started to kind of annoy me because it was, like, constant. And so I was kind of like, oh, my God, give me a break from this suspense. But I won't bitch about it too much. This movie is actually okay. So, all right, let's keep, let's go on. So that night, and this is all, like, in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. That night, right off the bat, Beth and Kevin hear Josh upstairs, like, talking to himself, playing with toy soldiers. And Beth, like, goes upstairs and comes back and tells Kevin that she thinks Josh has an imaginary friend. And Kevin is like, oh, that's cute. It will not be cute for very long, though. Well, also, I feel like imaginary friends are cute when you're, like, four. Yeah, he's probably a little bit older. And maybe he is more, like, six or seven. But, like, he's probably old enough that he shouldn't necessarily have imaginary friends. Yeah, it sounds like he's reaching the age where imaginary friend is a sign of, like... Maybe they need to see a therapist. Maybe something's going on you don't know about. Well, they do eventually do that. But that's like after he pushes his friend over a balcony. I'm getting way ahead of myself. (laughs) But, oh, also because I always pointed out the dad in this movie, Kevin, is very handsome. He is in some other things, but I can't remember. So I I didn't write them down. It was nothing that I recognized, but he was in a lot of weird things. Anyways. Okay. So then they're having dinner and... Basically, Kevin is like, so are you going to introduce us to your new friend? And Josh like looks over and doesn't say anything. And he goes, well, are you going to at least tell us your name? And then Josh looks over again and then goes, he doesn't want me to. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't this is getting a little less cute now, huh, Kevin? And so then Josh goes like looks over again and then goes, oh, okay." And he takes a piece of paper and with a black crayon. This kid only has black crayons, by the way. Everything he draws is in crayon and black. Like, get him some colors, man. So then he draws a Z on a piece of paper and just like gives it to his parents. And so they're like, oh, Z. And then he like nods. And then the dad is like, nice to meet you, Z. And like, that's that. It sounds pretty creepy. This movie, like it starts at creepy. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, very shortly after that, Beth gets called into school because Josh is getting suspended because he's misbehaving, using really bad language, hitting other kids, and being really disturbing. So, they take him to go see a therapist. Like you do. Yeah. No, that's legitimate. They go see a therapist. His name is Dr. Seeger. He's played by an actor named Stephen McCaddy. The therapist is kind of creepy, but... He just also is kind of not a great therapist. I'll get into this a little bit in a little bit. That's a shame. I was going to make a Stephen McDaddy joke. No, it's not like that. Mm. He's he's older. He also ends up so he ends up writing Josh a prescription. But then like, I don't know if the therapist, he doesn't, I don't think tell the mom to do this, but I think one of them is, is like not a great person because they don't, like, actually, like, give Josh his pills. And they're like, take your pills, take your medicine, honey. She, like, chops off his pills and puts it in his milk. And I'm like, that's weird. You're kind of, like, dosing your kid. I'm sorry. That just reminds me of when I got my wisdom teeth taken out and my dad chopped up my painkillers and my anti-inflammatories. He chopped up, like, so, like my antibiotics, too, I think, and put it in half of a pudding cup. And then when I was, like, still half asleep from being put under was like alternating bites like giving me like the half that didn't have the pill and then like the extremely bitter paste that happens when you mash up eight pills and put them in half a pudding cup 
And now I can't eat butterscotch pudding anymore because it just sounds disgusting. And that's totally unrelated. Anyway, carry on. I I never got that. I mean, I've never had an issue taking pills. I realize like some people do, but it's never been an issue for me. I mean, even now, like I honestly, I barely need water to take pills. Max is really good at swallowing. (laughs) I could swallow a golf ball if I needed to. I don't know when I would need that skill, but I have it. I've eaten a hot dog in one bite for a party trick once. So you never know when it'll come up. <laughs> I, I could, I would never do something like that because I worry about like what that's what your stomach is doing in that situation. My stomach hurts so bad. I feel like your stomach would be like, ah! my stomach <laughs> is just like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. So anyway, l- l- let's get on. So okay. So ultimately, the therapist is like, maybe your son is cr- has created this imaginary friend because he craves like camaraderie, and you should. Try to be friends with your kid, and maybe that will fill the need for this imaginary friend. This seems like terrible advice, by the way, because you're not your kid's friend. You're your kid's parent. That's like a very distinct thing. All right. So in trying to ke- to follow that advice, she takes Josh to Playzone, which is like this sensory overload playtime nightmare area. Like even watching the scene, I was getting anxiety like, please never let me have to take a child to something like this ever in my life it's probably based very closely on was it called like adventure zone you are too old for it so you're not actually going to be able to answer this for me the only thing i remember is that there was a slide but the slide was made out of a whole bunch of little like poles that rolled as you went down it i think it was called adventure zone maybe i was only allowed it was when my family was very poor so i was only allowed when a friend was having a birthday party there It sounds similar. I mean, I was getting like kind of a Chuck E. Cheese vibe, but like without the horrific animatronic robot band. But like it was that kind of a thing where there's like a ball pit and then like slides and shit like that. Yeah. But there's this like super creepy scene where it's like the it's like tube slides. Right. So he goes up and you can see like the tubes have clear sidings to them. I'm assuming so parents can watch their kids. Yeah. And. Josh is like knocks on it and is like, hey, mom, watch me go down the slide. And then he crawls past it. And then you see this like figure like crawl right behind him. Oh, no, absolutely (laughs) not. And it's this like you only get a brief moment. But this it's this like obviously not child, like big, thin, lanky, like almost like emaciated looking figure that like real like skittle skittles like scutters towards him. Skitters, I believe, is the word you Skitters, were looking for. Skitters, scudders. Scudder is not a word. Scuttle is a word. Skitter is the word you're looking for. Maybe scudder can be like a combination of skittling and scuttling, or er, skittering and scuttling. Anyways, mo- moving right along from and that. And that's your vocab lesson for today, <laughs> ladies, folks, and everything in between. I do make up a lot of words, to be honest. Why? Because language is living, and you can do that. And so, don't tell people that words aren't things. Thank you. Okay, so. After dinner, Beth basically tells Kevin about it. And then Kevin is like, oh, my God, the other night, I swear I went up the stairs and I could swear there was something in the corner and it was watching me. And then he's like, and she's like, oh, my God. And he's like, but it was just my jacket. Z isn't real. And I'm like, I don't know. He's being a little bit of a douche when she trusted him with her crazy. And that's not good. Okay, so after that, in trying to socialize Josh more, 
Beth starts calling around to try to set up play dates with all the kids from school. And all the parents are either like not okay with it or they're like hanging up on her. They're all like completely avoiding her. So she calls her like best friend mom and asks to come over. So she goes over and sets up a play date. And basically like the the best friend mom is like talking about how Josh like is like really scaring all the kids at school and talking about like hurting animals and like doing like really crazy things. And so that's why all the kids parents like won't let them play together. And they're having this conversation in the kitchen where Josh and her kid, whose name is Daniel are upstairs. Then all of a sudden you hear Daniel yell and they go and Daniel had basically been pushed from like the second story of the house over the banister and like hit the floor and they have to like call the paramedics and like take him to the hospital. And it's essentially implied that Josh did it. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, so that's not great. So the next day, they go into Josh's room. I'm skipping some of this. There's actually a whole storyline that I'm leaving out. If people want to watch it, you can see it. But I'm, I'm giving you the good parts. And what does it stream on, Love Bug? Oh, it streams on Shudder. I've been doing a lot of Shudder lately. I actually am like, I don't know. I'm kind of into it. I For me, it's been well worth the subscription fee. If it's not for you, that's fine. But they also will do a free trial for you, so. Not an endorsement of Shutter. I'm just telling you what I watch. They do not give me any money. So anyways, they go up to Josh's room and there's this big pic- like mural on the wall of this like creepy ass character in Black Cran, of course, because that's the medium that he works with. And it's well drawn, but it's like super disturbing. I'll just point that out. It actually does. Well, it kind of comes into play a little bit later. I don't know if I'll even talk about it. Also, I'll mention at this point, because it does come up around now in the movie, Beth's sister in this is a lesbian. It has no bearing on the movie or the story at all. They're literally like going through Beth's parents' house because her mom ends up dying. It's like part of the side plot of this. And they find her mom's old wedding dress. And they're kind of like joking about it. And Beth is like, it's for when you find your princess charming. And the sister's like, yeah, right. And that's like the only time they mention it. And I only bring that up because I like representation that's just kind of like there. But it's not like a focal point of it, you know? It's nice. Yeah. Like, she just happens to be a lesbian. She's not there. You know, she's not like marching in a parade or like finger banging somebody. So anyways, she also finds, Beth also finds this, (laughs) stop shaking your head at me. Beth also finds this tape and she watches the tape and she sees herself as a little girl playing with her imaginary friend named Z. Dun, dun, dun. Ba-da. So then she burns the tape because that's rational. <laughs> then So then there's this scene with a speaking spell. People don't know what that is. It was, I don't know, this little plastic toy with letters that you would like spell out things that it would say it or vice versa. Anyways, so it has. Uh, yeah, anyways, do you know what I'm talking about? No, we were poor. It it wasn't that kind of a thing. It was just an old toy. And it was like, it literally was just like a machine. I mean, but it was like a machine in the sense that like a Fisher Price type situation. And yeah. all it had were the letters of the alphabet. And it's like you would punch in your letters and then the thing would say the word you did. Or like it would say it and then you like punch in the letters and it tells you if you're right. So it's like a, a spelling tool for yeah. kids. Yeah. We just didn't have one. So there's one of those. And it's like, of course, like at night. And creepy and dark. And Beth is like walking through the house. And all of a sudden she hears the speaking spell go, Z. And she's like, what? So she goes to investigate. And it's like the thing just keeps lighting up the Z and saying Z. 
And then she like grabs it. And when she hits it, nothing happens. And then it starts like rambling off all these letters. And it's like, it was so fast that I was actually trying to hear what it was spelling at first and I couldn't. So then she like gets out a piece of paper and starts writing it down. And it was spelling out, imagine Z, imagine Z, imagine Z over, over, over and over again. So then she's like, imagine Z. Okay. So then she takes a bath. And this was probably the most disturbing part of the movie. Really well done. Where she's in the bath and she's got candles around because she's like setting the mood for herself and relaxing. But then she's like, imagine Z. And as soon as she says it, one of the candles like flickers. And then she's like, imagine Z. And then one of the candle goes out and I'm like, girl, what the fuck is wrong with you? Stop saying that. Stop saying it. Like, I don't know. There's something about like the fact that like you're in, it's like she's in the bathtub. So obviously she's kind of like vulnerable anyway. But so then she's like kind of like trying to relax and she starts like repeating like imagine Z to herself and then all the candles flicker. And then she's like, she has her head like to the side and then you hear and see a splash. And I'm like, Oh God, Jesus. It is. It's actually very well done. Cause I was like, so then she like starts to slowly turn her head and I'm like, Oh girl, get out of the bath. Get out of the house. <laughs> so she looks and it's that it's, it's done where the movie it's kind of successful with its jump scares in in a typical fashion where like you don't get to see the thing for very long but like so it's a quick frame of like she's she turns her head and you see this like lanky gray emaciated figure sitting in the other side of the bath staring at her and then she of course freaks the absolute fuck out like you do yeah and then her husband comes running in and the thing is gone z is gone but she's like not okay. So at this point, Beth now believes slash knows that Z is real and she's taking it. Okay. She calls Dr. Seeger and is like, is like, Z is real. Z is real. And Dr. Seeger is like, it's happening again, isn't it? And it's like, I'm sorry. What's happening again? Because I literally have been talking to you about this for fucking weeks with my son. And it turns out, oh boy. It turns out that when she was a child, her dad brought her in for the same thing, that she had this crazy imaginary friend named Z, and that she was, like, obsessed with it. And basically, he just didn't mention this to her at all. So he shows her a video interview of her as a kid talking about Z, and she's like, when we're growing up, Z and I are going to be together and get married and have babies. And the doctor's like, it's been waiting for you all this time. And it's like, bitch. You didn't think to bring any of this up? Oh, boy. He does at one point say, when you told me that your son's imaginary friend was named Z, it did it did sound familiar and concerning. And it's like, oh, okay. But you didn't mention that. That's cool. You didn't want to elaborate on that whole thing about how you like treated me and had all these videos of me like being crazy and talking about this imaginary friend with the same name that didn't come up at all in your mind? I don't know. He seems like a bad doctor. Anyway. So Beth actually freaks out and she starts like speeding home because she kind of like realizes it's all real. And she's trying to call and like warn Kevin, but Kevin's not answering his phone. Basically, she gets to the house and it's on fire. There is a scene where Kevin basically hears the speak and spell and like goes into the room and the picture of Z, like he keeps staring at it and all the toys go crazy. And then all of a sudden, like the eyes and the picture kind of glow. And then essentially there's this kind of like jump scare where the lights are sort of flashing in and out. And one time they flash on and like Z is there and like he jumps at Kevin. 
So Beth gets home. The house is on fire. Kevin is dead. And she, like, is yelling for Josh. And Josh is, like, standing in the doorway. And then Z grabs Josh from behind and pulls him into the do- into the room and slams the door. And Beth can't get into the room. And so then Beth is like, please, like, let him go. Let him go. I'll I'll be yours. I'll be yours. Just let him go. And so after she says that, the door opens. Kevin gets out. He's saved. And I guess, like, newly single Beth already has a new boo. That's the only way I can put it. Well, she moved on quickly. Yeah, I know people like that. So this movie, it's weird because it's like not it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. Anyways, I oh, my God, I've been talking about this movie for fucking ever. And there's still 20 minutes left of the movie at this point. There's like a lot of weirdness, but I'm going to summarize the end of it up quite a bit because I want to get to what I think of this. So basically, Beth ends up moving into her old parents house or her parents old house with Z and like they like play hide and seek together. She like makes him food. He gets like real ornery about things. And then like Dr. Seeger comes in and is like, you created Z. You created all of this. It's all in your head. And it's like, I'm pretty sure it's fucking not. And then like ultimately in the end, Beth convinces or ultimately in the end, Dr. Seeger convinces Beth that this is like something that she created. So only she can stop it. And there's this kind of scene where like Z had gone after her son for a reason I won't even explain because it's just not relevant. But Beth basically ends up trying to kill herself to stop Z, thinking that like she created him. And it does work. She doesn't succeed in killing herself, but she does kind of like, I don't know. She ends up being comatose. It's a little bit vague at the end. And she basically like hangs herself, but is saved. But in doing so, Z like doesn't get the kid. And then the end of it is Beth is now living with Josh and Beth's sister. And the sister is now taking care of Beth, who is like basically borderline comatose and Josh. And it seems like Z is gone, but there's this kind of like cliffhangery ending where Josh is like saying goodnight to everybody in his bed. And after he says goodnight to like all the family members, he's like, goodnight, Z. And like, that's that. Of course it is. So that's how the movie ends. Final thoughts on this movie. I have a couple negatives for it, but all in all, I actually think it's pretty well done. Like, I would watch this movie. Negatives. The music is just too fucking intense all the time. I like when music is used in movies, but this was just, like, too much. Like, calm down, please. This thing only goes to an 11. (laughs) Basically, yes. It was at an 11 and stayed there. Other thing that I kind of noticed is, so, it jumps into creepy really fast. I actually appreciated how quickly it just started being scary. That was cool. But part of the issue with what happened with that is there was no development of Josh. And I think the whole point was supposed to be that when Josh befriends Z, he starts having behavioral problems. But it literally was within the first five minutes of the movie. So you don't even know how Josh was before. For all we know, he was this like menacing terrorist, like future psychopath before Z came and is just like continuing his normal stuff. Yeah. Because they didn't show him as this like happy, normal kid before. So I thought that that could have been more effective if they showed more of a juxtaposition on that. Also, there's a lot of jump scares. Not my favorite. They were well done, but sometimes it literally felt like every scene was just like leading up to the next jump scare. Yeah. That got a little bit old. But I did think that the story is interesting enough that it kept me intrigued because it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. And like when she's living with Z and like, cooking his food and stuff like that, it was legitimately terrifying because, like, you just never knew what was happening and you never knew if, like, something really bad was going to happen. Yeah. They don't 100% ever explain what Z is or if he is defeated, if he isn't defeated. And this is the final... 
the final stuff I'll talk about this movie. This movie, to me, I'm 100% certain, is a metaphor for domestic abuse. Because the way that Z, like, treats her, like... Like, there's one point where they're living together and she gives him, like, whole milk instead of 2%. And he, like, slams on the table and growls. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 2%, 2%. Ah. Uh-uh. It's very, like... And the whole thing is that, you know, she has this, like, life without Z grown up. And he starts to, like, terrorize her kid to get to her. And ultimately, you know, kills her husband and is going to kill her child because he can't have her. It just, I don't know, the whole thing, like, reeked to me of, like, a mental illness, domestic abuse metaphor situation. And I'm, like, very confident that that's what they were going for. It was successful in that. And also just very, very creepy, but... Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to say about that, but it is actually very watchable. Even like me telling like you what happened, like it's still, I think the kind of movie that like people may still enjoy because the atmosphere is good. The scenes are good. I did leave out some of it. So there's still some stuff to be discovered. And then you can see what you think about the movie. And if you think my assessment is correct, but that's, that was my takeaway from it. Yeah. Anyway, that's Z. No zombies, but still a good movie. Now tell me what you're going to talk about. All right, Peaches. So this week, I'm going to talk to you about the 2003 Possession Horror Come Closer by Sarah Gran. So I actually saw this one because I subscribed to a Book Riot email list that does horror novel recommendations. Book Riot is like a really well-known book blog for like non-bookish people who are listening. Anyway, a lot of times it's filled with like dark fantasy and other stuff that has like vague horror elements but then they did a possession themed email list and i'm going to apologize in advance because i read let's just say a few of them in a row so i hope that y'all like possession stories because that's where we're gonna be for a hot minute (laughs) the cover's pretty simple it's a woman's face and honestly it looks like red pen just kind of scribbled all over it i do feel terrible though because i forgot to write down who designed the cover So the copy that I had was from the library and someone had a hold on it. So once I finished reading it, which was like a month ago, I very quickly took our social media picture and returned it as soon as possible. But I do usually try and make note of the cover designer when I'm preparing to record. So I've actually, and this is probably doing way too much, but I've put it on hold again so that when it comes back in, I can just like quickly mention it in a future episode. (laughs) I just feel bad because like what inspired me to want to do my portion of this podcast is Grady Hendrix's paperbacks from hell. And he has like an entire portion where he talks about how all of these cover artists went uncredited. And so I feel like since I'm talking about covers of these books, I should be mentioning who did them. Oh, sure. That's valid. But anyway, let's take a look at the blurb. The blurb gives away so much, but whatever. I didn't feel like going through to decide what to cut out. A recurrent unidentified noise in her apartment. A memo on her boss's desk that's replaced by obscene insults. Amanda, a successful architect in a happy marriage, finds her life going off kilter by degrees. She starts smoking again, and then one night, for no reason, without even the knowledge that she's doing it, she burns her husband with a cigarette. At night, she dreams of a beautiful woman with pointed teeth on the shore of a blood-red sea. 
the new voice in Amanda's head, the one that tells her to steal things and talk to strange men in bars, is strange and frightening, and Amanda struggles to wrest back control of her life. A book on demon possession suggests the figure on the shore could be the demon Nama, N-A-A-M-A-H, known to scholars of the Kabbalah as the second wife of Adam, who stole into his dreams and tricked him into fathering her child. Whatever the case, as the violence of her erratic behavior increases, Amanda knows that she must act to put her life right or see it destroyed. Hmm. That's cool. I will, I'll mention, if you have recurring noises in your apartment, you need to get out. I actually uh, discussed that pretty early on. <laughs> okay. Um, but we'll get there in a second. All right. We could talk about it when we get there. So yeah, the blurb tells us a lot. It's actually, it's actually a novella i think it's like 140 pages or something so Hmm. there's there's not much wiggle room to not tell plot so it all starts one day when our main character amanda is turning in a memo for work as we know her boss calls her in because apparently the report calls him and here for those of you who don't want to hear it content warning for gay slurs you can hit that 15 second skip button uh the memo calls him a cock-sucking faggot which first of all he ain't special (laughs) <laughs> that's only okay in a very specific context yes anyway sorry <laughs> it's like my like, brain was slow on the uptake like when you're being choked with a dick like when you're actually being a cocksucking faggot anyway don't use don't use that word though yeah no don't use that word ever it's like one of the few words that actually does bother me but but i love words let's continue it doesn't necessarily bother me when someone else says it to me because literally the first time someone called me that, I think it was in elementary school. What does bother me is when people in the queer community who, for whatever reason, whether it's their presentation or whatnot, were not called that, decide that they're going to refer to themselves as that as a reference to the masculine traits of their queerness because they're reclaiming a term. Hmm. And that annoys me. Yeah, I mean, the the last thing I'll say about this, and we don't have to harp on it, is I I mean, it's not like it bothers me. Like, I have a very thick skin, to be honest. I think a lot of gay people do because we've been called that our whole lives. But it doesn't bother me or even necessarily offend me. But what it 100% does is I will lose respect for somebody who uses that word immediately, and you will almost never gain it back. Yeah. That being said. That being said, uh, the memo also says that he eats shit, and he can keep that one. Thankfully, Amanda still... No, I know. You're thinking of the Willem line. (laughs) You're thinking of the Willem line. We're not going to say No, it's like pink eye jokes with rimming. We just don't... We can't make that joke with straight people. Okay. Composure. Gays eat ass. Anyway, straight people do too. They took it from us. Appropriation. Thankfully, Amanda still has her memo up on her computer so she can be like, no, this is what I gave you. And even though it's weird because I think they were like the only two people in the office, her boss is like, okay, something must have happened. You're good. So, Oh, so when he opened her memo, it had those slurs, but she had a copy that was like slur free. She still had it pulled up on her computer and it was the memo that she remembered typing. Okay. Must have been the internet goblins. Exactly. Anyway, it's one hell of an opener for a book. Later, she and her husband, Ed, start to hear scratching sounds in the night, which have they ever seen or read mm, any demon possession story mm, ever? Yeah, scratching sounds? Unless you have a cat, you probably need to get out. 
Well, and then we hear scratching sounds all the time on our roof, but that's because, um, <laughs> for those of you who don't live in New Orleans, um, Uptown New Orleans has rats that live in the trees. Yeah. I mean, we... It, it sounds fake. It's true. There's a lot of them. People are so surprised by that because they... Uptown, uptown is... Well, Uptown is huge, but Uptown is where the big... Like, the Garden District is, which is where all the big pretty mansions are, and also all the live oak trees, and there are tree rats fucking everywhere. And people are like, that can't be right. But it is, and you see them at night. We're not in, like, a big Garden District mansion, by the way. We're in, like, a little cottage in a different neighborhood. However, we do have two live oak trees on our property, and you see them and you hear them. Yeah, I, in my head, have just convinced myself that they're really cute, adorable raccoons, like, wrestling around instead. Or squirrels with a caffeine problem. We do get a lot of wild... Oh, my God. Do you remember um, No Face? Yes, the possum who lived under our house briefly... I miss No Face very much, but I had to stop feeding him because it's not good to feed possums. We had a giant possum, literally only for a couple nights, who would come to our front door. And literally the first couple nights, he would just kind of come to the front door. He ate the acorns. He was eating the acorns that fell. And then he would just kind of chill. He was actually adorable. And so we named him No Face. And then I think you only left out food for him a couple times. Yeah. And then then we stopped. stopped. And he disappeared. He found. I'm sure he found an, a nice family to move in with. He was so cute. Anyway, that's a lot of tangents. Mm-hmm. So the book is short, so it escalates quickly, but like relatively logically. She has a dream of a beach with crimson sand and blood red water. And there's a woman there who's like super gorgeous, except she has real pointy teeth. And Amanda is like, who is she though? Uh, she looks super familiar. And the woman writes Nama into the sand and Amanda later remembers that she had an imaginary friend that looks like Nama who she called Pansy, which like she wins with regards to the whole creepy imaginary friend thing. Then (laughs) Uh, also super gorgeous with pointy teeth. I think I speak for most people when I say pointy teeth is a big deal breaker. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you are not doing. With that person. Oh, boy. Anyways. Anyway. Um, she also has, like, small stuff happen. Like, she starts smoking. And then one day at a store, she spaces out and, like, accidentally steals a tube of lipstick. Yeah. Um, she also gets delivered a book by mistake that's all about demons. I can't remember the specifics of why she got it by mistake. Um, it has a quiz in it to see if you're possessed. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like a teen magazine. Continue. <laughs> that's that's all I could think of was like teen scene. Are you possessed? Are you possessed? Which demon is possessing you this week? God. Uh, she scores a four out of ten, but don't worry, that changes. A four out of ten. <laughs> oh man, I flunked my possession quiz. Anyway, should have studied harder. It all starts to escalate one night when, as we know from the blurb, she puts out her cigarette on her husband, which also he has allergies. So she was being rude by smoking around him anyway, but she honestly thought she was going for the ashtray, but then her arm just like swung over on its own volition. Mm. And things escalate pretty quickly from there. Her behavior changes. She becomes more and more aggressive. She also gets really sloppy and this rubs Ed the wrong way because 
He is described as the type of person who compulsively tidies up and puts things that have been left out away super quickly. And that just sounds like a nightmare. I can't imagine living with someone who's like that. No idea what that might be like. Anyway, um, she decides to seek out a spiritual counselor after she loses track of time one day at lunch. And while she's racking her brain trying to remember what happened, she remembers a magazine person being like salesperson being extremely rude to her, but then her memory blanks. And later she sees on the TV that that salesperson was found dead. So she's like, I should get help because <laughs> I'm killing people. Eh, what can you do about that? Um, the spiritual counselor gives her a cleansing wash, which does nothing. And all this time, she sees herself changing, like she sees something wrong happening. But every time that she tries to say something to Ed, Nama stops her. Um. Okay. Sure. So one day, after cheating on Ed in a haze, like you do, apparently, mm-hmm. um, Amanda is in a bookstore. I think it was a bookstore. Okay. So here's the thing: my notes say bookstore, my memory says library, and because I returned my book. I don't have access to it to double check. So gentle listener, if you've read this book and you're like, actually, it's a library, you can just keep that to yourself. Thank you. Anyway, she hears a book fall and it's a manual about demons. And she eventually looks up Nama in it and she learns that Nama is Adam's second wife. He didn't like Lilith, who was made exactly the same. So God made Nama exactly to Adam's specifications, which is super gross and misogynistic. And you put pointy teeth in there? Uh, that might be after she became a demon. Yeah. Um, but he was disgusted by her because he saw how she was made, which is also gross and misogynistic. Basically, he wasn't able to be like, this is my fuck toy object. This is like an actual th- creature that was made and I had to watch how it was made. I am no longer sexually attracted to you because you are actually a thing. Not just a hole. Anyway. (laughs) Some people are into that. There she learns that Nama is a seducer of men, kind of like a succubus, and then is also strengthened by salt. This factors in importantly. Mm. Um, Speaking of being strengthened by salt, Max and I both really enjoy salt. We too are strengthened by salt. She and Ed go on a holiday to try and fix their rapidly deteriorating marriage. It's better than having a kid to try and fix their rapidly deteriorating marriage. Mm-hmm. She's going to put the suck in succubus. You were literally just sitting there waiting to make that joke until I stopped long enough to take a deep breath, weren't you? It was a joke. I made it. Anyway, while she's swimming, Amanda swims past a little girl, grabs her by the hair, and yanks her under the water. So... In front of everyone. So she's not good with kids who, you know, who is? Me? I work with them. you are. I'm I'm not bad with kids, but I don't know how to, like, treat kids not as adults. So I just talk to them like people. Which sometimes leads to confusion. I'm good with kids. I have, like, five background checks to prove it. (laughs) This is... True story. When I first met Cole, I... Oh my god! <laughs> when I first met Cole, I t- he told when he told me he was a uh, children's librarian. I think what I said was that might be a problem because I'm not allowed to be within 500 feet of children. And he didn't at that point. He had not understood my sense of humor, so he wasn't sure if I was serious or not. Long story short, it was a great thing, and we laugh about it now. 
Thankfully, he explained himself quickly. Because <laughs> those are the types of jokes I make. Anyway. And those are the types of comments I block people over. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I was talking about the drowning. I'm like looking through my notes. I'm like, what was I even talking about? So she starts trying to drown a little girl. And then once people rush close enough, she's like, oh, I was just helping her. And the little girl's like, uh, 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 uh. but for some reason, wasn't like, no, the bitch grabbed my hair and yanked me down, which like, eh, I mean, they believed it. Who hasn't gotten caught in a riptide? They're actually quite dangerous. I've, I've been caught yeah. in a riptide before. I make that comment because I have experienced one. They're fucking terrifying. Anyway, it's probably like the most harrowing scene in the book. Is just like the randomly grabbing the girl's hair and yanking her down. So as her condition deteriorates, Ed suggests that she sees a therapist, but the therapist, who was recommended by her doctor, seems to know things that she never told either of them. And then she remembers that her doctor had recently switched her to a high-salt diet. So she determines that both of them are possessed and conspiring to make her lose her final hold on her sanity. Which, sure, fine. She sees another spiritual leader, healer, counselor, whatever, who guides her through, like, a meditation meant to exercise her. Whatever. Um, But it just allows Nama to get a stronger hold on her, and Amanda starts blacking out for, like, massive chunks of time, usually while Nama just, like, bangs some random dude. Hmm. Uh, The remainder of the book is flashes of Amanda's life during the rare times that she has control. A lot of it is Nama thwarting her attempts to save herself. And Nama tells her, like, I can't have fun without you. That sort of thing. Eventually, Amanda comes to as she is returning home one day where Ed tells her that he wants a divorce. And that's when we learn that a full year of this has passed. I read the whole thing thinking it took place over like a month. Uh Amanda blacks out one more time, returning to the crimson sand beach where Nama writes, I win in the sand. And when she wakes up, Authorities are at the apartment, and Ed is dead in their bedroom with I win written on the wall in his blood. Amanda is taken to a psychiatric facility where Nama takes full control over her, and that's it. The end. Mm, That's an intense ending. It's a lot. That's cool, though. So, I'm going to give this five out of five grains of crimson sand. Um, My one complaint about it is that there's definitely a point where it's like, terrible thing happens. Amanda doesn't know why she did it. Oh, no. Terrible thing happens. Amanda doesn't know why she did it. Oh, no. Terrible thing. You get the idea. In a longer book, I think it would have wrecked the pacing for me, but because it was so short, it ended up being okay because there's not enough space for the book to just kind of putter along. It had to move on. So I'm still going to give it a five. My favorite part about this story, though, is in the end, you honestly don't have a very firm idea of if Amanda was actually possessed or if she just had like a mental breakdown and in the early stages of it read this book about signs of possession Hmm. and just started to experience more and more of them as her mental health deteriorated. Really the only hint is that there's a child of friends of hers and Ed's that says something about the lady that's always with Amanda, but that's it. And children are notoriously unreliable narrators. Anyway, I loved it. It's quick. It's creepy. It's fun. It was great. That sounds good. So if you were on Come Closer, would you have been killed? I'm going to say yes. 
So Nama kills people who were either rude or annoying. <laughs> and I am often rude and I am known to be quite vexing. So I'm pretty sure I would piss her off at some point. I usually <laughs> piss people off. Would you die in Z? Hmm. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of like how I would be involved in this story. My guess is n- no, but I'm not sure. See, there's not a lot of death in it. It's literally like the husband, I think, is the only one killed. And then the there's like the kid hospitalized and stuff. But it seems like Z really only kills people that are trying to keep him from essentially possessing Beth. And I don't necessarily know if I would be in that role. So my guess is probably no. But I would also be creeped out by everything and try to get as far away from that as possible. And quickly, unlike Beth, who chilled out in the bathtub for quite some time once things got creepy. Yeah, her reaction to the creepiness is um, probably not smart, but also it's just like classic horror. Like, true, true. I think there's a I think there's like an imaginary friend demon. I'm going to take a bath and think about that for a second. Ruminate over it. With mm-hmm. some candlelight. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Goodreads at Second to Die Pod. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns, and suggestions at Second to Die Pod at gmail.com. Or to be honest, just message us on Instagram. That seems to be people's preferred medium, but either way, you can do both of those. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.